Hi, and welcome to the Hollywood Dreammaker Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Gallo. I'm a 35-year veteran actor. I'm the kid who came out to Hollywood with 200 bucks in my pocket and a one-way ticket when I was 18. Didn't know a soul out here, and I've been living my dream ever since. I've had an amazing career. I've been an Academy Award-winning film, blockbuster film, hit TV series. You name it, I've done it, and I got the IMDb credits to prove it. Six years ago, I opened up my own school, the Manhattan Actor Studio, where I found my true passion. That's teaching the craft of acting, but not only teaching the craft of being the guy. Success leaves clues. I know how to make dreams a reality. I did it for myself, and I do it on a daily basis for my students. And I can help you achieve yours. Welcome to my podcast. Let's get started. I am super excited to introduce my guest. He's one of the most successful Cuban-American actors of a generation. He currently stars as Vinnie Malone in Tyler Perry's hit series, The Have and Have Nots. He's best known for his scene-stealing performances, Officer Vasquez, opposite Bradley Cooper in the hit movie, The Hangover 3. He will next be seen in Gaslit, starring Julia Roberts and Sean Penn. I want to welcome Oscar Torre to the podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Billy. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my honor, man. So, you know, I created this podcast to inspire young artists to follow their dreams. If a kid like me can come out to Hollywood with 200 bucks at 18 with a one-way ticket, not know a soul out here, just have a dream and make the dream a reality, then why can't the listener out there? If a kid like you from Miami can come out to Hollywood and become one of the most successful Cuban-American actors in the business, you know, then why can't that, you know, listener do it? So I just want to, you know, I think your story is very inspirational, you know, because you came from, you know, where you came and you made the dream a reality. So when did you get bit by the acting bug? You know what? I fell into it. It wasn't something that I always wanted to do. It seemed it seemed something so far away from me, being born and growing up in Miami from a Cuban family. I happened to take an acting class in college by coincidence. My girlfriend at the time signed me up for the class. I asked her to sign me up for another class, and she thought it was a joke to sign me up for an acting class because I was really shy. So it, it's so the weird way was fate, I guess, or Synchronic, which is something that I always tell people, whatever made you go into this career, that moment that you said, always remember that. Because when tough times come around, that's something you can always lean on, how things happen. That you said, well, I can make a career out of this. Even if at that moment, things are not going that great for you. But always remember that. And for me, that was that moment that I... I I felt magic on stage. I went up on stage and I had to do an exercise. I didn't know what I was doing. But for a moment, for a brief moment, I forgot that I was on stage and I believed my reality at that moment. And it was I was hooked. Like like a drug addict say, they got hooked. That moment, they kept, you know, wait, looking for that moment. Same thing happened to me on stage. And then it took a while for me to decide to say out loud, I'm an actor. I was a little embarrassed at first, you know, growing up in Miami, Cuban family, you know, they would laugh at that. If you told them, ah, I'm going to be an actor now, you know, I was studying psychology, but I, I'm uh, changing career paths. So it, it took a while for me and, it, and things started changing the moment I said, I'm an actor. 
Like I embraced this journey. And with all the ups and downs that were that were on the way that I had, I mean, I assumed, but nothing can prepare you for the ups and downs. And you know that. So how old were you when you said I'm an actor? When you when you stepped on stage and you had that magical moment? When I said I'm an actor, well, I didn't say right away on stage. I wasn't sure. I, I didn't know what was happening to me. Like, oh, maybe when I first felt that, oh, I want to see more of this. I want to experience more of this. But I, I had not yet said I'm, I'm an actor. I started working in Miami in a Spanish soap opera. But, you know, by the time you shoot something and the time it comes out, there's a, there's a window there. And at some point, even when it started coming out, I hadn't told anybody. People started like, hey, did I just see you on TV? And I was horrible, by the way. So it wasn't anything that I would be proud of. <laughs> but it was work. I got work. And at some point, I, I said, no, I'm an actor. I'm an actor. This is what I want to do. And I know where I'm at right now. And I know where I want to go and how much I can improve and how, how much I can work. And I remember my first acting teacher saying that there's some people who are really talented and things come to them. And then there are people who maybe it's not as easy to them initially, but they work hard and that you have control of. And I, that always stayed with me because I'm like, I don't know how good I am. I'm not very good at this moment, but I know I can work hard. And I would see, I remember I would look at, I was looking at, at every film I could look at. At that moment, good, bad. You, you learn from the bad ones as much as you learn from the good ones. And I, when I was see bad, why is that? I started analyzing everything. I was hungry for for knowledge and for improving, and um, and I knew I could. I knew I could. I knew this wasn't who I was at this moment. This was just me. That I needed a lot to work on and learn, and that was key for me. That was key for me because then I started seeing little improvements. Okay, so how old were you when you got bit by that acting bug? Oh, I was 23 when I got the the, the job. Okay. The first so, job. So, and, 23? And I was 23, and at that point, that's when I said, you know, I, this, this is what I want to do. Awesome. So you're 23, and you say, okay, you're in Miami. You're taking some, you know, acting class. Did your acting class came after you stepped on that stage, and you had that magical moment? No, no. The first magical moment was on... on Miami-Dade Community College. I was taking an elective class. Luckily, I had a very good teacher, uh, Teresa Maria Rojas, a very well-known teacher in South Florida, who also taught a class at night for more advanced actors and people who were working and stuff. And she invited me to that class. And I would go and sit, and I wouldn't go up on stage. I would just watch. I would, I would hide behind people. <laughs> so I didn't go up on stage for a while. I didn't go up on stage, but I was learning. I was learning and I was seeing and I was, I was, you know, learning from other actors, what they're doing, what they're not doing, you know, from the feedback that she would give them. I was taking everything in. And and like I said, and watching a lot of films, watching a lot of films and going to the theater and stuff, I started evolving myself. That it became, I realized, oh, this is my life. And then when I got my first job and I wasn't very good, and I knew I wasn't very good. But I got the first job. I'm like, well, if I can get work, and I'm, I'm not good. That was your first audition. It was. It was my yes. Wow. It was my, it was my first. So first how, audition. how did you get I that audition? audition for, I'm sorry, I had gone for an audition for commercial, which I thought it was the craziest thing, and I'm like, 
I'm not sure if I can do this. When I went to the audition for the commercial, but then I went for a theatrical audition for the Spanish soap, which was a big soap opera. It was huge on, on Spanish TV at the time. And I went in. I had found an agent. And he told me, listen, there's this, this, this soap going on. They're not casting for anything right now. But you could just show up on, on the studio the studio and say that you want to audition. And I made up a BS resume. Things that you can't do now, obviously. He told me, now nah, you can put this here and there. They're not going to that. Nobody's seen that. So he gave me a couple of credits. So it wasn't like a blank piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> and I showed up with that. And the casting director wasn't there. And I remember it's the first time I ever walked in the studio and I'm looking around and it's like, wow, this is incredible. I found the casting office. The security guard stopped me and says, can I help you? And I go, yeah, I'm here for casting. He goes, oh, I'll show you where that. And he took me over there. <laughs> <laughs> he actually took me there. But basically, I was sneaking into the studio. I just walked in. Love um, that. On the stages where they used to shoot Miami Vice. Okay. They had shot Miami Vice there before. So that's how I got my first job. So, so how'd you get the agent? They got you the audition. I got some. They told me, "Well, you need some headshots." So I got some headshots, and the guy who took my headshots had a roommate who was an actor on that soap. Funny enough, and he told me, "Hey, you should look at this agent. You have you have a good look. Call this agent in Miami." So I called the guy. I had a meeting with a guy. He took me on. You know, and in Miami they take you know more or less have a look, and you can talk and walk and. <laughs> they'll take you on or or I was lucky I don't know but th that's what I assumed I assume I guess they take everybody <laughs> they took me he took me so that's how uh, but thanks to him he was the one that suggested well you, know, you can always try to sneak in there and good luck you know that's great that was yeah. the only thing happening in Miami Miami's not like you know it was a few years after Miami Vice so there wasn't that even that then so now you got yourself an agent. You, you did the Spanish soap opera. Uh -huh. And, you know, how do you make the jump from Miami Spanish soap opera to Hollywood? Well, in between, I did a lot of theater, which best, you know. Best great training. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great training. Great training. I booked a few years later. I booked an role in a film, one of the leads in a film called Suicide Blonde. And it turns out that that film... They ended up doing all the post-production in L.A. So they flew me to L.A. a couple of times to do ADR. There were some scenes that had some sound issues because of a generator that was going on not right next to the filming. So they flew me to L.A. to do ADR. So that was the first time I came to L.A. A lot of the actors from that film moved to L.A. So suddenly I knew some people out here. And then one of the actors from the movie told me, hey, I have a buddy of mine who's uh, driving to L.A. Next week, you can come with them. Because I said, you know, I was one of those people that came to L.A. and said, you know, I'm going to move here. But I didn't really have a plan. So my friend called me and said that. And I told my wife at the time I was married. I told her, you know, I'm moving to L.A. next week. She thought I was crazy, but supportive. Because she knew that I wanted to do this. And, and it was a matter of like, if I don't do it now, I might never do it. So I had a car. I put all my stuff in the car. And I followed this guy. He and I just drove to L.A. from Miami. Wow. Separate cars. That was how I came to L.A. It was a, I made the decision in a week. Well, at least you had some transport when you got here. <laughs> I did. I did. Barely. Barely. I, I took that car to a mechanic here. And he said, how did you make it? 
<laughs> okay, cool. So now you're here in Hollywood, right? Mm-hmm. You came out to do some ADR for listeners that don't know what that is. It's uh, additional dialogue recording. Like sometimes there's bad audio and you have to re- re-record yep. some of the audio. So now you're in Hollywood and your agent in Miami is still representing you or you got a new agent when you got here? I had a manager when I got here because uh, he managed he managed an actor in the film and he managed the director of the film. So I, I had a, I was lucky that way. Okay. I had a manager and I was already in the union. So, you know, I had some things under my belt. I had a, I had a pretty good demo reel for somebody that didn't live here because I, I had done I had done two lead roles in films and one main lead in another film that was shot in Miami. So I, I worked there as much as you can work. So yeah, this was I, all I, local I, hire stuff, right? Local hire, yeah. Yeah. So you know that's you know, if people don't know what local hire is, it's you know, Hollywood's a big pool, New York's a big pool, you know, some of these other cities, you know, if it's a smaller pool of actors and if they're shooting a film in your neck of the woods, you know, a lot of times they don't want to cast actors, fly them out to Miami. They they'll cast the leads probably in Hollywood, but they'll cast the additional characters, the supporting cast in whatever the location is where they're filming. So if you're one of the actors that live in that area, you know, the chances of you getting into the door are, are a lot better than if, you know, we're in Hollywood. So now you're sure, here in Hollywood and uh, you got a, you got a rep, right? You got a manager. And yeah. when, you know, so you got your SAG in Miami? I got, I became SAG in Miami. Yes. Okay. So now you're, you, you've studied your craft, right? Mm-hmm. You were doing some theater and you were doing some film work and, you know, you were, and now you come to Hollywood. You got you got a piece of footage of you. You got a good demo reel showing that you you know you're a working actor. I can and act, yeah. stuff that you can act, and you know you got representation. And when at what point, like you know, what was your first job here in Hollywood? My first job here in Hollywood. I did a I did a few little jobs that I that I, I booked a play in Chicago like a month after I was here. So I ended up going to Chicago and I did a play for a week, but it was the, all the rehearsals were here. We just performed in Chicago. I did that. So that, that I did early on, like a month into being here. And then I went back and forth to Miami a lot my first year because I had a film that I had shot and hadn't come out and I went, I flew to Miami to do ADR now the <laughs> other way around and, and, and help with doing some promotion for that film and stuff. So, it took me a while to get my first, my first real role that I would say it's not that it's real, but the, you know that I had some meat that I had something to do. Was a film called, it was a, a film called Hunting of Men, directed by Joe Menendez. Joe, I met because he saw me in a film that I had done in Miami. Joe was a director that he was originally from there, but he had been in LA a, a little bit at that point. And he was doing a feature, his first feature film. Joe's gone on to be a very successful director. But at that point, it was his first feature film. And I went in and auditioned. And he had, met, he had seen my work from the, from the film that I had played the lead about a Cuban political prisoner in Cuba that leaves Cuba on a raft. So he had seen me on that. And Is that Liber- to, Libertad? Libertad, yeah. That was in English. But the title, they, they put it in Spanish. Freedom, it was called and it had gotten some attention. That film had gotten some attention. So he saw me there. So he brought me in to audition for, for his first film here. 
He had done some TV, but it was his first film in L.A. So I came audition. I got the role in that film, uh, Hunting on Men. So that was my first real, real, real job that I, you know, that I showed up to set and I worked for the three weeks of production and all that. But that relationship was key for me, meeting Joe Bonetta. So it's, it's like I tell actors, everybody who you meet, doesn't matter where they're at at the moment. Treat them with respect. Absolutely. Because you never know. Besides that, you should treat everybody with respect. Sure. You never know who, who they're going to be or where they're going to be. We're all on a journey here in L.A. Absolutely. Um, Joe, I recently worked with Joe at the end of the last year on Star Trek. He did two episodes of Star Trek, and I worked in both of them. Wow. Star Trek, yeah. part. The guy who I had met who hadn't done anything. Yeah. But I met him. Yeah, I uh, believe me, I, I, I've seen it so many times. I've been in the game a long, long time, and I've seen a lot of actors come in and a lot of actors leave, and I've seen a lot yep, of yep. people that just, you know, came to Hollywood. I mean, I, I came out in 85, you know? I had my own series in 87. You know, I've been in the game, and I've seen, like, you know, I, I remember Robert Downey Jr. coming to my shitty little uh, pad, you know, when he was, you know, still just kind of starting out. You know, Johnny Depp w was living in his guitar in a car, you know. Uh, Ray Liotta, you know, when he just came out. I think he, he came out from Miami. Miami, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, he had done, like, you know, I, I forget, like a soap opera or something like that. You know, I mean, I, a lot of these actors, I, you know, I knew them when they first came out, you know, and I've watched them succeed in Hollywood, you know, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a journey. It's a roller coaster ride. Just out of curiosity, do you feel like being a Cuban-American actor has helped you in your career or, you know, it's harder for you to find work? How does that work? I always thought of myself as an actor, not Cuban-American or, I mean, those are the things that people label, label you or for publicity, but I never thought of myself as like, you know, I'm Latino or I'm this. Obviously, if the role is Latino, yes, I'm 100% Latino. That's the role. But mm -hmm. I never never thought of myself that way. And often I've played roles that are not, two things have happened, are not Hispanic, not Latino, or I, I booked the role and then they changed the name. But it was originally. Yeah. <laughs> That's it awesome. It wasn't originally Latino. Yeah. Latino role. And I think in part is because how I've never thought of myself that way. I'm an actor. You know, I can play anything that I, if sure. I looked the if I looked the part, I'm already seventy five percent there. I think. Love that. I mean, I tell my actors all the time. That's your job is to change their mind. They think they know what they want, and then you come in and you make some big choices and you show them the character, and then they change the character. Yeah. You know I mean, don't put yourself in a box. I tell people, don't put yourself. When they 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 come in and they introduce themselves, and they already have to come in with a, with a title or something. You know, I'm blah blah blah, blah. and I'm like. That's fine, but don't go around walking, telling people you're, you know, I'm a blah, 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 American. I'm a so-and-so American. You're an actor. Yeah. Right away, they're just going to think, go like, oh, okay, you know, the role's not Cuban. So, I mean, how many Cuban roles are there, honestly? So, if, if you put yourself in that box, you're already limiting yourself. Let, let them limit you. Don't limit sure. yourself. And they will. They will try to, they'll, they will try to okay. typecast you and put you in a box, you know? But, you know, I, for me, as a young actor, it was like, listen, I played all the the bad guys, you know? I mean, those are those, those roles. But, you know what? I was working. I was, you know, <laughs> I was laughing all the way to the bank. You want to ca cast me? I'll play all those bad guys, all those, you know, roles. 
you know, they try to stick you in a corner like, oh, you can only play these roles. Or you can only play those roles. But then you change their mind, you know, you with your work, your body of work. And you go in there and make some big choices. And, you know, all of a sudden they're, oh, now you can only play that, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I, the way I work, at least the way I work, I book a role. And they get, they're giving me basically, they're not painting the whole canvas when they give you a role. So it's up to me to start putting colors in there. If I'm there long enough, I start putting, I bring humor to it whenever I get a chance. I make I make choices of, to show this is a, a human being. This I'm not the guy who just killed this guy, just that. I care about things. And, you know, and you can do that. And actors say, well, I didn't have any lines. So how could I do that? The way you behave. Sure. Your character, the way he behaves, the way he, he does something, the way he, he refers to somebody else. You do it with respect, even if it's just Mister. Do you say Mister with respect? Or do you say like I'm a, I'm gonna shoot him. I'm gonna kill this guy, Mister. Yeah. It's interesting. Find interesting things of life that you see in real life. Sure. That's what we're playing. But yeah. make the interesting choices. You know they don't make they don't make movies. They don't make movies about the guy who went into the bank and made a deposit. They make movies about the guy who the day the bank was robbed. <laughs> yeah like you said you know an ounce of behavior is worth a pound of words you know it's all about choices you know talent lies within your choices you know just because your character you know they give you some sides and you know it's but what's the what's the character's last name where did he grow up what's his childhood like you know what have his, what is his dark deepest darkest secrets what are his fears his wants his desire who is this person you got to know you know it's all those choices that give you even like you said there's there's i feel like there's no small roles because you know, if you make those choices and you load it up, then, you know, you're bringing this character to life and you know this character better than everybody else, better than a writer who wrote the thing because he didn't write the backstory. You did. Definitely. definitely. You know, he's right. He's writing for he's writing for everybody. He's writing for everybody. Um, and I think that's your job to come in and, and bring stuff to it. And the haves and the half nots that you mentioned, my role on paper was, you know, I served the purpose for the story. But I decided to bring in humor, the way I dealt with people, the way I it's little choices. And then you find out when you're on stage, you find out how much you can do, how much they let you do, how much you can add a little word here if you can. That may, makes your character yours. And if you have good writers, you know they see it. And I've been blessed that way at times that they see it and then they, they start writing into it. Yep. And so your character is able to like, okay, and people start relating to it. Regardless of who you're playing, they start relating because you're playing a human being. Unless you're playing an alien and still it has some human form because you're, you're the actor playing it. Sure. You start bringing those elements that the, that the audience can relate to because you're real. You're not just the bad guy in the show or in the movie. And that was, that's what I, I said. That's what gives you a career. Absolutely. Because the people see that. I mean, I can't tell you how many shows I came on as a guest star and it became a recurring character because of my choices. And they like what I did. And they, they kept bringing me back and writing me back. You know, I did a TV series called Who's the Boss for three years. I was just a guest star on the show, but they like what I did. And what I, you know, so they kept writing me back. I did a series for Jerry Bruckheimer called Soldier of Fortune. My character got shot in the pilot. 
you know, and I was like, I was creative. I wrote a, a letter. I played a, a Navy SEAL. I wrote a letter. I got stationary from a military hospital and I wrote like a doctor's letter saying that he's recovered from all his injuries and he's ready for active duty. <laughs> and, and the and the producers got a kick out of it and they wrote me back in the show. <laughs> I might you know? steal that one. <laughs> so it was, it was, it was cool that, you know, it was because I was prepared and I was a professional and, you know, I was like, you know, they like working with me, you know, and then I kind of put that on top of it. And, you know, that's what led to, you know, it's about relationships, you know, you're working on a set, you have a good attitude, a can do attitude. Yes, sir. Stepping in, stepping out. You know, you're not that actor that thinks who the fuck he is. She's my friends. You know, there's a lot of that, you know, like ego celebrity, you know, but if you're a pro and you treat everybody with respect and your rep gets out there, your rep is everything in this business. You know, if you're a pain in the ass actor to work with, well, you know, I probably won't hire you again. Absolutely. Who needs that? You look at somebody's resume and you look at my resume and you'll see how many directors, the same name will come up. And that's not just talent or the work I did. It's important that you show up when you do the work. But it's how you behave on set. Sure, absolutely. How you treat people. Like, were you were you good to work with? And it's not always. I mean, the reality of the business, and we both know this, is not always the most talented guy, who's a guy who's working all the time. Sometimes that talented guy, and I've known those actors are a pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> and they're amazing when the, when they say action and cut between the action and cut, that guy will do blow you away. And you're like, yeah, but I want to deal with everything else that goes in between the action and cut yeah with his drama or her drama and and you go why is so-and-so doesn't work or why is so-and-so that had that moment you see those actors that hey i like that actor a lot i'm sure you've seen this i like that actor a lot i remember seeing him and blah 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 why isn't he working then you happen to work with him you go oh yeah now i know why he's not working yep he shows up he's unprepared Mm -hmm. he's uh you know a little drama maybe he's (sighs) something else yeah you know what's funny is i was looking through your imdb and i saw a picture of you and david caruso and 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 i laughed because when I, I i you know we've done a lot of the same shows and and i remember working on uh csi miami i believe it was and uh not to talk shit about david caruso but you know when i went to it like i went to go introduce myself and he pulled out of his pocket he pulled out like a little picture of him on a boat like cut out like a baseball card autographed it and he handed it to me and i was like what the fuck is what is this i thought it was hysterical but you know there there are actors that like that that are you know like this is my show here i have an autographed picture of me was that a csi miami yeah wow yeah (laughs) what i did was directed by adam rodriguez oh okay great yeah i love that Adam's super nice, super nice. Yeah, he's great. And that had to have been challenging directing your, your castmates and David. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, that we work with a lot of the same actors. You know, I, I don't know if you remember this, but, you know, like I said, I had been in the game. You came out in 93. I came out in 85. So I had been in the I game. Came out, I came out here. Actually, I started 93. I came out here at the end of 98. 98. Okay. So yeah, you so came I really out in 98. I wasn't 90... into it until 2000. So I had been in the game for about 10 years. You know, I had my own series or a couple of different series. And, you know, I I had a lot of success. And I I watched guys like, you know, Emilio Rivera come in. You know, he was a guest on my podcast. And I I remember, like, I'd be reading for the role, you know, the cholo, the, the, you know, I had the Pendleton and the goatee. And I'd be playing that acting. And then homeboy would walk in all OG, like legit. And I go... 
yeah, I'm not going to get in this part, <laughs> you know, yeah. because I'm an actor. I can play anything. I can play that character. But when you see a, a legit, you know, guy come in the room, I go, OK, you know, that's a real guy. So I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but I had done uh, NYPD Blue with Jimmy Smith. And, you know, I love Jimmy and I love working with him. And then I found out that he was doing a series called Kane and there was a role on it. I, know, I forget, was his a brother or something like that? Or his, uh, I forget his right hand guy. His right hand guy, right? And I remember I had auditioned for it and I got a call back. And then I remember I was outside and I ran into Emilio at that call back. And then I saw you and we had a little chat outside the audition and you had the, you know, the accent, you know, like I was like, that's the guy, <laughs> you know, I knew it, you know, I knew you were the guy, you know, you were legit, you felt legit, you felt real as my, you know, I'm acting, doing my Cuban accent, but here you are, you know, with this legitimate, right, you felt like you were right off the, the boat, you know? Yeah, that role, Santo, that opened the doors for me here in, in Hollywood. Because it was a mainstream show, and you know it lasted one. Unfortunately, it lasted one season, but it had it had good ratings for that one season that I had. The actor strike came, and it just killed the show. But like you said, I wasn't that character. That wasn't me. But I came from Miami. I knew all these Cuban rafters. I had just come from Miami. The character was a Cuban raptor. I knew how they spoke. I had done a movie that I had played a Cuban raptor, so I had a little bit of experience of being out on the ocean while we're filming at night and stuff, stuff that you can't imagine unless you're out there doing it. Even though we're filming, it still feels like, you know, I'm on a raft by myself in the <laughs> middle of the ocean. It's yeah. a little scary. And I knew all these people. And I knew all these backstories. And I knew how, I knew how my dad talks, you know, and, and the Cuban accent and the, the attitude and how they see things. It's how you know, Cubans see things and the whole political position of somebody who came to the u.s escaping communism and all that so i mean those are things that unless you lived it you can study it and you can make it up like we were saying with certain roles that we show up and we're like huh i see the real guy sitting over there <laughs> um and you still might get it but you know okay i might not but for this role i in fact they didn't want to see me because i didn't have any credits so my manager said, why don't we put you on tape and just send it? So that's how I got the audition. Wow. Like a self-tape audition. I said, we just, yeah, when self-tapes weren't popular. Yeah. Um, awesome. I just, yeah, she sent the, the VHS tape. It wasn't even a DVD. I think it was <laughs> she sent it. And then I got the audition. I came in. I read. I had something they, they tell you, don't do, especially for television. I hope I added the whole thing. I was like, Mr. Vega, no, no, estos son realitos. la gente. The casting director didn't know what was happening. The guy who was reading with me, he didn't know what was happening because I started the scene with that. Luckily, the other casting director said, just say the line. I told the guy, just said, he said the line, we did it. And then I got a call back. And that's when, that's when I, when I met you. And you remember that room was full of people. Yeah. You walked in that conference room and there were 10 people and they were like, oh my. And Jimmy Smith's. Well, yeah. I'd only seen on TV. Yeah. Sitting on the couch. There. Huge. And yeah. I'm like, wow, I'm supposed to be his bodyguard. And <laughs> um, But I remember I broke all the rules. I, I stayed in character the whole time. Love that. I figured that I had nothing to lose. Like, the odds were against me, but I knew this guy. I knew who he was. And I'm like, as long as I keep seeing him and not me, Oscar, I have a shot. So I came in and I saw Jimmy Smith and I shook his hand. 
you know, they tell, don't shake people's hands because they're seeing 20 people. I shook Jimmy's hand. I said hello to Cynthia Sidre. I love Mambo Kings. I said, uh, and then I ad-libbed the same ad-lib that I had done on the audition. I ad-libbed. And it's funny because there's a line in the, in the audition that says, I do what I do for my family. I get confronted by the character Jimmy Smith's. And I say, I do what I do for my family. And I added, I said it. I do what I do for my, I, I do what I got to do for my family. I just said, I said it. I said it is a word from the streets, Cuba, that unless you're from there, you're not, you're not going to know that word. You can't ad lib that. You can't, you got to know somebody who's from the streets and know what it means. It's like, say, hey, brother, I do, but it's very like, I think it comes from Afro Cuban. So I said, I said it. I do what I got. The moment I said I said it, they bought it. They bought this guy's from the streets. And Cynthia said, Cynthia Cedra, who was the creator of the show, uh, Jonathan Prince, but Cynthia's from Miami. Cynthia stood up after the audition and said, you know what? I haven't heard that word in 20 years. Wow. I said it. I booked the role. I get the script. The script says, I said it. Ah, I love that. Love that. So, you know, I tell my actors all the time, that's what it takes. You got to bring the character in the door. I don't want to meet Oscar. I want to meet the character. Show Mm -hmm. me the character. You know, you brought that character in the door. You you broke all the rules. I'm a rule breaker. Every role I've landed, I broke the rules. (laughs) You know, I'm bringing the character in the door. You know, I was... I, I once played a, a a serial killer, you know, like, and I came in and, you know, the scene was, it was very uncomfortable, right? So I didn't want to come in there and go, hey, how you doing, everybody? You know, I, I just brought the character and I just stared everybody down and I sat on the casting director's desk and I just looked at everybody, waited till I got really, really uncomfortable. I said my shit and I walked out the door without saying goodbye. By the time I got to the car, my phone was ringing. You got the part. It's making those big, bold choices, yep. you know? Another film I played, an abusive alcoholic father, and I had to blow up on my son. And and then I, after the audition, I literally walked out of the room and I slammed the door. And the casting director went, <gasps> and the producer went, "That's the guy." <laughs> you know? yeah. And you might lose the wall. You might sure, absolutely. And they, go, and they go, you know what? I'm a little scared of that guy. That can happen, but you don't know. You got to make that choice. You got to own it. Absolutely. Because the ch- odds are always against. Listen, if I had a Wait, nickel, how many people are going in for the same role? If I had a nickel for every time the feedback was he's way too intense <laughs> for TV, <laughs> you know, but I didn't care, man. I, I just going in and making some big, bold choices. And and then, you know, listen, I'd rather be big, bold choices than playing it safe. Safe is boring, man. Next, boring. if you're saying the words on the page, you're wasting your time. If you, you know, if you truly like loaded it up and 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 take a piece of your soul and leave it there in the room, they're going to remember you. They're going to be, even if you're not right for this role, they're going to become a fan of your work. And if they know anything about acting and you got a good director, he'll appreciate what you're doing. Sure. And then he'll go, okay, I love your choices, man. That was great. But try it like, you know, do this. And then you want to give them that, whatever they ask for. So they, you know, they see you're directable. Okay. Well, I love your choices. Great. Now let's try it a little less like this. And <laughs> so now then you, get cast, then you get cast and they tell you, no, I want you to do how you originally did it. <laughs> I just told you to do that to see if you were able to do something else. Exactly. That's yeah. that's the curveball they throw you. You know, they want to see if you can take direction. And, you know, it's a test. And you want to be able to hit that curveball and knock it out of the park and go, yeah, here's something else. Bam. Why? Because you rehearsed it a, a, a different way. 
You know, a lot of actors that rehearse their lines the same way over and over and over again. I say, never do that. I said, try it every which way, blow it out, do the opposite, you know, go everywhere, stretch it out. So when somebody says, give me something else, you go, okay, I got something else for you. And you give them something else completely different. And they go, wow. You know, because that's acting. I mean, acting, you know, your performance is built in an editing room. You know, if I get four takes on it and you gave me the same shit every take, I, I got nothing to cut to, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I can cut to the other actor. And, but if you gave me Troy while well, he was a little vulnerable in that first take, he was dangerous on that second take. The third take, he was emotional. OK, great. I'm going to build that. I'm going to use a piece from that first take, second take and boom. And there's the performance. So, you know, it's all about choices. You know, that's how that's I truly believe that's how you become a working actor, you know, to make those big, bold choices. And, and that's why you got that role. You brought a legit real guy in that room, you know, and I and I remember watching this show and I was like, wow, this, you know, this guy's great. I mean, I remember your performance and for another actor to have read that thing. I mean, I remember I did research, you know, I think he was into like Santeria or some he stuff. Santeria, I, yeah. yeah. So I went to I went like I went and did all this research about Santeria. I found a, a voodoo shop in Hollywood and I was buying like little necklaces and stuff. So I had like legit stuff, you know, to walk in the room. That, I bought a guy to set. Really? Santeria thing. Uh -huh. I said to I said to the to the production, listen, I'm not into this. I don't know what exactly what all this. I don't want to do something that doesn't make any sense, and I don't want to disrespect any religion. It's not my religion. I definitely. So they they said, okay. Do you know anybody? I go, well, I met this guy that I went to a shop on Sunset. You went to the same shop. <laughs> it might have. That guy got lucky. That guy worked two days. Oh, that's awesome. Set, and they ended up cutting the scene. Uh, they cut yeah. the C because CBS was, CBS was nervous about it. They thought that, that middle America head? might be weirded out by it. <laughs> was he doing sacrifices, cutting off the chicken? <laughs> well, they, the scene of the ch chicken's head gets cut. I didn't cut the chicken. The other character cuts the chicken. And I'm smoking the cigar. And then I got to put it the other way around towards the flame and inhale it. And I'm blowing on the whole thing. And he taught me how to do all that. Yeah. Or else you get, you get burned. Sure. And, I'm doing the whole thing, man. I was so proud of that scene. And then, <laughs> and then I, Jimmy calls me and says, Oi, we're cutting the scene. They say they're nervous about the scene. People are going to be weirded out. How was it, you know, how was it for you working with Jimmy? It was great. It was great. I mean, I grew up watching NYPD. Yeah. Uh, NYPD Blues, uh, NYPD. And um, so this is, and now being working with him, but he's, he's such a great actor. Yeah. And so all about the work. And um, and if you're all about the work, you're good. You're good with him. And yeah, he and he was, I, we had that. Funny enough, we had a very similar relationship. The characters and the characters and us, like we became friends as the characters became friends. And that was that was beautiful to see it happen. And he was he was somebody you know. I'm still friends with him. He he did something for me. We were doing an episode and we we're talking about Cuba. The characters are talking about Cuba, and I talk about. That I have my mother in Cuba. It was a it was a big episode for my character. There's a scene that I that Jimmy talks about him having come on a raft as well earlier, and how he remembers seeing people in the sea, people out in the sea crying, children crying, and he goes into a whole. He had this little speech that he had, they had written for him, and right before we shot the scene, he said. You know, I think he should say those lines. Mm, wow. It's his experience. I don't think this is my moment. It's his moment. 
That's he gave me. That's a very giving act. That and is then he was true. there for me off camera the whole time, giving me, yeah. giving me stuff. It was it became a very emotional scene. He got emotional. I was emotional. And in part was we're playing off each other. And you know how it is when somebody gets emotional sometimes. Sure. You're trying to hold it back, but you see another man get emotional, but another person get emotional. And suddenly I, I got caught up in that in that moment. I'm trying not to cry because that's more interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm trying not to cry because I wouldn't, but my eyes are getting really, and it's it's that thing of like fighting that, but I'm talking about real things, the experiences that I had, my character, and that even though I didn't have them, I know people that had them, and people who had family members who disappeared in the ocean. So it's, it's talking about this and know what I was representing at the same time was very emotional and that he gave me those lines. Sometimes actors give lines because they're smart that way. They go, you know, it's better if I say less. Yeah. React. Because a lot of times it's more interesting to react. Actors don't know that. A lot of actors don't know that. I think just because I have more lines, it's better. But it's in, this case, in this case, it was better for his character to say less. And it was also better for mine to tell this story. And it gave me legs, gave the character legs, and then they wrote into it later on. And that was episode two. And then episode 10, they had a whole backstory of me on the raft, how it came and stuff. And and part of it was born because he gave me those lines. Yeah, I love Jimmy. He, he's such a giving actor. You know, when I first, I, I did a, a guest star on NYPD Blue, and I played a son of a mafia boss, like a John Gotti, who was, who was gay, who was a serial killer who shoots his own brother in the head and I kill like a dozen other people. I kill everybody, right? Because I'm trying to cover the fact that I'm gay, you know? And, you know, so the, the scene was an interrogation scene, right? And it was such a great scene, you know, when they finally, the whole episode is about, you know, them trying to track me down and then they catch me and then there's the interrogation scene. So I had auditioned for this great interrogation scene, right? And it was a great director. Her name was Elodie Keene. I worked with her a couple of times. I loved her. And I got the part and then I got to my set and in my trailer was a new script. And I looked and the scene was just destroyed. All the great stuff was taken out and it was like informational stuff. And I was like, what happened? This is not what I auditioned for. This is not the part that I got. And I ran, I went into makeup and there was Dennis and Jimmy. And I said, you know, I had never even met these guys. And I said, you know, I introduced myself and I said, you know, I asked them like, what's up with this? <laughs> you know, because the scene had changed and, it, and the other one was much better. And they were like, they had never seen the old scene. They had just seen. So I showed them the new stuff and they were like, kind of agreed that the other one was a better scene. But they said, you know, this is David Mills. <laughs> what do you got to, you know, <laughs> you got to stick to the words on the page. So I was oh, all right. So, so I get there, we're on set, we're rehearsing, we're doing a thing or whatever. And it's not the same, man. The, the meat was taken out of the scene, right? So, you know, I say to the director, I says, you know, I, I just, can I go back to some, can I bring some of that old, you know, the, the from the other stuff back? And they, she was like, no, you know, whatever. Somebody calls David Mills and he comes onto the set and he goes, what's the problem here? And I go, there's no problem. I said, I just, you know, this is not about me. I feel it's about the story. You're trying to track my character down. This is finally, when you finally catch him, we get to see why he's doing what he's doing. And he goes, let me tell you something, kid. This is not uh, Stephen J. Cannell. 
this is Stephen Botchko, and this is not about you. This is about our principal actors. And like he's not there. I'm going, I'm getting fired, you know. So I said, you I agree a hundred percent. You're the boss. I says, but it's not about me. It's a, it's about the show and it's about the character. You wrote such a great monologue, you know. So long story short, we're doing a scene, it's going nowhere. David Milch is staying on set, Jimmy and Dennis, it's me, the three of us, they're interrogating me. And you know, after a couple of takes, I was like, I went to Jimmy, I said, can I play a little bit? Can I bring a little of that stuff back? And and he and he didn't give me like a no, but he gave me like a little like a nod. And I was like, well, green light. <laughs> so I brought back all that dialogue and I called Dennis Francis, you know, scam me that gun, that badge get, you know, and I started like using swear words and stuff like that. And the scene when he's Dennis Francis slamming his hands on the cage and it just like blew up. The scene was it, like magic happened. And Dennis France walks out and says, you can't say the F word on ABC or whatever. So <laughs> the director, I see David Mills walk over to the director. She goes over. She goes, you got your way, kid. I said, you got a green light. Go back to the way, you know. And we did it without the curse words and the magic happened. But it was Jimmy awesome. giving me the green light going, go play. And then David Mills came to me and called me at the end of the day. And he said, let me tell you something. You got some engine, kid. He says, you got some mention on you, kid. He says, good and really awesome work. So I stood up for myself because I was like, you're not cutting this thing. It was such a great scene, but it was really Jimmy and Dennis. You know, they could have said, hey, it's not about you, but it was truly it was about the work and they let me play. So, I mean, I, I forever, you know, love Jimmy for that. And it was great. He's fantastic. Now, you've done a lot. How was it? You know, you worked on Hangover 3, which, you know, was a scene stealing performance when you're interrogating Bradley Cooper and. Zach Galifianakis and Ed Helms. How was it working on that? That was a lot. That was a lot of fun. Nervous going in because it's the third one. No. So obviously they all know each other very well. Todd Phillips, you know, had done so much already. So I didn't know what to expect, but I also knew it was a big opportunity for me. So I'm like, same thing. I'm like, you know what? I'm the chief of police in Mexico. And these three guys are three white guys who came here to Mexico to commit a crime. And I hate them. So, you know, I made a strong choice and I'm I'm the law. And the whole time I'm like, I know they're huge stars and they're all get, they're all getting paid $15 million each for this role. But you can't think of any of that stuff when you're yeah. doing it. You have to believe who they are and that you're who and you're the boss here. You're the star. <laughs> exactly. This is your, your show. You're the star. At this moment, I'm the star. This scene is about me. Not Love about that. you guys here. You guys are my prisoners. And I might kill you. And, <laughs> and it's it was that attitude that got me got me the role and and I think worked in the scene. And then Todd Phillips is a director. He has the budget as well to be able to play and let you play. He's a director that shoots a lot. So I that moment i'm like okay and he likes improv and he, he likes you to own the character and we did a bunch of stuff i mean the scene is much longer you know how it is they start mm-hmm. but it's still a long scene i had a couple scenes but the main scene that i'm interrogating them, it's a long scene but they started cutting it down and and it was fun playing with those guys actors act all of them it was all about the work it wasn't like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm on People's Magazine, Sexiest Man Alive or whatever. <laughs> it wasn't any of that. It's like we're doing the scene. There's, there's, there's a moment that he looks that I'm 
that I asked him a que- I asked him a question, and he looked away from me. He looked at at Zach. Zach is doing his own. He's in his own world. He's doing his own stuff. That's the hardest part, not to laugh at what he's doing. So he's doing his stuff, and I slapped the table right in front of Bradley Cooper because I'm trying to get his attention. Because I'm asking you a question. I asked the question again, and he jumped. And he looked at me like I got his attention. He looked at me, and then he's like, well, it's not. And he goes into what he's supposed to say. No, but I'm, after I did that, I'm like, okay, I might get a note now that, hey, <laughs> don't slap your hand in front of Bradley Cooper's face. And no, no. And so that energy is still in the scene. That, and it, it was great that they let you play. The thing that I was the most nervous about in that scene was not the scope of the film or – the actors I was working with, the director, was that, that I'm not a smoker. And the character smokes throughout the mm-hmm. whole scene. So that was my, my the thing that I was most nervous about. But the funny thing is that we had shot the end of the scene first. We shot the end of the scene in Arizona, which is we go outside the police station, and I'm lighting a cigarette. So that's the first thing we shoot. Us walking outside, me lighting a cigarette outdoors. I'm not a smoker. And, man, that day the wind was blowing. <laughs> Every time I try to light that cigarette, it would turn it off. And the cue, the cue for everybody to move was a cigarette. In the scene, I light a cigarette, and this limousine shows up that John Goodman had sent to pick up these three guys because he wants to kill them, to pick up the guys. And, and he had given me the – John Goodman supposedly had given me the sign to, like, let them go and put them in the limo. So I tell them, get in the – Get in the fucking limo, I say to the guys. But as I'm smoking, and man, I was so focused on that cigarette that I forgot we were in the scene, that we're there, because I kept, I, I felt so bad that, okay, back to one. <laughs> I thought, okay, hey, you got to like the cigarette. got to be able to light that cigarette. Everything's accused of cigarette. You're lighting the cigarette. You're smoking. Yeah. And I, I wanted to smoke a cigar. That just shows you, that's funny, because I know how to smoke cigars. I smoke cigars every once in a while. So it's something I'm familiar. I can light the cigar. I'm, but Todd definitely, he was so specific on what he wanted that he goes, no, it has to be a cigarette. It has to be a cigarette. And he knew exactly what cigarette he wanted the character to be smoking. And he's very peculiar about the cigarette. And I'm like, damn, I guess this cigarette is a big deal. Like, can I smoke a cigar? You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot. No, I, I just want you to be smoking cigarettes. Just be smoking. Yeah. We shot the following week, we shot in L.A at Warner Brothers, the interior of the scene. And he's like, I guess he had seen me struggle with a cigarette and the blowing. The, he goes, hey, you know, in this scene, I was thinking, you don't have to smoke in this scene. It's fine if you just smoke at the end of the scene. I said, like, no, 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 no. I've been, I've been smoking a pack of cigarettes every day <laughs> for the last month for this scene. I'm smoking in the scene. <laughs> Method actor, love it. <laughs> so he goes, all right, good luck. Uh, that's, that's awesome. Hey, you know, you say so you've, you've worked with a lot of, you know, actors, uh, you know, like A-list actors, you know, I was looking through IMDB and I saw a picture of you and, you know, another big Cuban actor, Stephen Bauer, who, you know, after Scarface, yeah, was, you know, huge. I mean, I'm sure you had seen Scarface living in Miami, right? Well, and then, and then you come out to Hollywood and you're rubbing shoulders with Stephen Bauer or, you know, you're working with Bradley Cooper, you know. Jimmy Smith. I mean, you know, so have you ever been like, you know, kind of starstruck working with some actors like shit, man, I, I grew up watching you on TV, <laughs> you know? 
Honestly, no. I I get a little starstruck with athletes because my dream was to be a baseball player. So whenever I go to, whenever I'm around baseball, I played in a couple celebrity baseball games, and I remember being around those who know baseball, around Ozzy Ozzy Smith, Ozzy Smith was there, Jim Palmer, Andre Dock, all these guys that I had grown up. I was I, I was starstruck. <laughs> I, I was like, wow, because that is something I definitely can't do at that level. I played baseball and I was pretty good. Well, I didn't make it to the major leagues that level. These guys are Hall of Famers. So there I was starstruck. I, I haven't been starstruck by any actor working with them. I think because maybe it's the same as how I work, that I try to immerse myself in that character. And once I hit that set, I'm that character. You're the character, yeah. And I'm seeing it, and I'm seeing it through his world, his eyes, the world that I'm in. Sure. And I'm owning that. You know, I I I was taught early on by a director. He said, he said to me, you know, you're always the lead. And I'm like, what? He goes, in life, you're always the lead. You're not playing. The lead is not the, the banker. Well, the lead is not the guy at the gym. You're the lead. And you should, once you're on set, you should look at it that way. Even if you don't have any lines, you're the lead running through you. Everything that's happening is running through you. They might disagree with you, and you know, we pay. We we have Bradley Cooper's the lead of the movie, or the guy. Through your eyes, you're the lead. So that uh, that has always kept me. That has always kept me from being starstruck. I think of, of people that I'm working with. I a lot of people I admire. I see the work, and I I've seen what they've done and accomplished in the industry, and, and done things that I'd like to do. Yeah, there's an admiration, but starstruck, no. The only time I've been a little bit starstruck was, and it wasn't me acting with him, was I went to see Al Pacino on stage with Huey at the Mark Tape. Mm. And I remember seeing him. I waited outside before the play because I didn't know if I was going to get tickets. I was putting my name on a raffle. So they raffle tickets and you can get in for about $12 at that time if you won the raffle. And I happened to win the raffle. But I didn't know if I was going to be able to get in. So I waited outside. And I saw Al Pacino come in. Car dropped him off, and here comes Al walking. He has a leather jacket, and he doesn't walk straight like you see him on stage. He kind of like he's hunching. He's walking like that, and I'm like, "Wow, that's Al Pacino!" And the moment he saw a bunch of people standing around, he takes out this pen. He won't. Even, he didn't even look at me or anybody. He just signed on a piece of paper that we all had. I think <laughs> if you were holding something, he would have signed on it, even if you didn't want his signature. Uh, that's all. Awesome. I remember it was a loop and a dot, a loop and a dot, a loop, and then he disappeared. And I remember being like, "Wow, that's that's Al Pacino." Yeah. And I knew everything about. I had done a play called Big Al about a guy who's obsessed with Al Pacino. So I had seen everything he had done, even things that people haven't seen. I saw, I found, yeah. read everything about him. So that that was one time I, I felt starstruck, but I wasn't. Unfortunately, I wasn't working with him. No. It was I was a fan seeing him show up on a theater and then seeing him on stage. But working, no, um, no. I remember being in the table read of Kane, the table read, and that was a little surreal for me. Because then there's Jimmy there, and there's Rita Moreno, and then there's Nestor Carbonell, and then there's Polly Walker, who I had seen in Rome, and all these other actors who I, I have grew up watching their work. Mm -hmm. And now I'm here, you know, and I'm 
as I'm saying, I'm reading lines. I think that's probably close to being a little starstruck. It was on the yeah. table read. And it was more like a surreal, not starstruck, I would say. It was more like a surreal experience of like, wow, I'm part of this cast. How did yeah. I get here? How was I so lucky? No, that's awesome. You know, maybe I used the wrong word, star, starstruck. I mean, I, that's what I meant is like, you know, that that feeling like, I know for me growing up, I used to watch a TV show called Taxi with Tony Danza, you know, a sitcom watching, you know, it was a kid in Brooklyn, you know, or, you know, watching Sylvester Stallone and Rocky, you know, kind of changed my life. I was getting, I was a little kid getting bullied and I started, you know, working out and eating raw eggs and running around the cemetery after that. Yeah. And then, you know, cut to me in Hollywood. I'm on a, a TV series playing a recurring character opposite Tony Danza on Who's the Boss. Oh. And we do our table reading and we go play golf at Witsit and we're playing golf and who sh who's there is Sylvester Stallone and he's a friend of Tony's and he, you know, so he joins us and we're, we're playing golf and I'm on the putting green and I'm putting and I'm, I'm looking and there's Tony Bantha, you know, Tony Danza, there's Rocky, Sylvester Stallone and me. <laughs> I'm like, how the fuck did I get here? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's one of those moments you got to kind of pinch yourself and go, is this real? Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I, I've, I've a lot, you know, so many, I can't tell you how many times that, you know, I mean, I got to meet Al and he was my idol, you know, growing up, I, any, any Al Pacino, I used to sneak in and see all of them, Dog Day Afternoon, Serpico, you know, you know, that to be able to meet him, De Niro, you know, some of those guys I grew up idolizing and, and then being able to work with them or act with them, you know, it's been amazing. I met Andy Garcia when I first moved out here because he's he was my cousin's, and you might have known my cousin. He passed away already. Working act, excellent working actor, Julio Machoso. Yeah. Um, that was my cousin. Wow. And Julio was Andy's best friend, and they worked together. I don't know how many times. Before. Uh, I think he worked in a lot of the things that Andy did. And I remember meeting Andy at, a, at Julio's house when I first, I, I hadn't even moved out here. I was visiting. I was doing, I came to do the ADR for that movie. And I remember feeling a little starstruck. But then again, it was like you said, if I would have been golfing with Sylvester Stallone, I would have been probably starstruck. On set, it's because it's a different... Sure. My mentality it's is different. Yeah. It's like, yeah, like I have to... Maybe it's the prep, but I have to believe that I, I belong here. Absolutely. You know, I'm on the same level you are. But if I'm playing golf, and I'm not a very good golfer, I'm probably, I'll probably be starstruck, just like I told you with athletes, because that's what I wanted to be when, mm -hmm. when I was growing up. I wanted to be a baseball player. If I wanted to be an actor, maybe it would have been different, the experience. You know, that's my, my goal in life. I probably, I mean, that's normal. It's yeah. normal to get starstruck. This is somebody who you admire. I guess, luckily for me, it didn't happen on set. So it's I just know. something that, I, as an actor, it can happen. It's just something to overcome. If I'm going to see him with Al Pacino and I show up and there's Al and there's Robert De Niro and there's, it's normal to be like, man, these people are legends. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you got. I literally like you got to pinch myself and go, what? I just really, I, I screen tested for. I did Pretty Woman, talking about staying in character. I played originally what was called Three Thousand was a much darker film about drugs and prostitution. I was the drug dealing pimp. So, wow. you know, this is when Julia Roberts, nobody knew who Julia Roberts was, you know, this is like the movie that put her on the map. But, you know, I was Carlos the pimp, you know, so as far as I was concerned, I gave a shit the whole time on set. I'd call her, scream across the street, you know, Vivian, you know, calling her. So she'd flip me off. So we had this thing 
when we were working each other, we never like talked to each other like two actors. I was always Carlos and she was always Vivian, you know, till the rap party. And, and, and then we actually talked to each other. But the whole time I didn't want to talk to, you know, so that's just the way I work. I mean, when I, I did a movie with Danny Trejo and, you know, I play an LAPD gang unit officer and who doesn't like him. So the whole film, like, I'm not going to sit and have craft service and eat donuts with you before we do the take. I was literally I, mad dogging him from the other. You know, it was like we the whole time. I don't want to know you. I don't want to talk to you. My character doesn't like you. I'm not going to sit here and talk to you. So, you know, that's the way I work. You know, some other actors, but me personally, I like I, I stay in character. I don't I don't like, you know bright character and that's why it, it just frees you up like you said it's not it's not me it's the character you know it's character it, it, it helps me it helps me do my work better and 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 i kind of do the same thing i play it by ear it depends how i am how i'm feeling at the moment and what scene calls for for me sometimes i feel like i need to be depending on the character the character is not a talk i don't really want to be like talking to everybody on set and being this guy and then having having to like stop and go into that place i'd rather just stay more or less i know i'm not this killer so i'm not going to kill anybody outside set but i i like to stay in that that space of like i'm not happy it's not a happy space i don't want to be joking around then having to like go go there i'd rather be close to the character as possible while i'm working but it all depends, you know, it all depends. I could also be talkative. If the guy's talkative, then I might be talking to everybody. If, I'm, if the character's talkative, as long, you know, as long as you're respecting other people's space. And, and sure. That guy, the only character the acting off is a guy who doesn't talk. Don't try to, like, screw with his process. You know, it's something that, that but very similar to you, I think it's like, yeah, I like to be, I like to stay in character, see how the, the character Outside the the action cut, I often, depending on the role, I'll I'll take out the character out, out on the street, sure, and, and order coffee and this and that. I remember I was doing on stage this. Oh, when I did Big Al, this guy who's this guy who's obsessed with Al Pacino, he's a little too much. He's a little too much, and he's always on coked out. And he, he's trying to imitate Tony Montana, and I remember going out as that character. And I remember going to order at a rush pizza, takeout pizza. And they let me go. They go, no, no, no. The two people in front of me, they go, no, no, you go first. The man, he goes, no, no, let him, let him come. And I was, I went with a friend of mine who was doing the play with me. And I was just talking really loud. Really loud. Like, I wasn't aware because this character, the way I played the character, like, this guy's not aware of his surroundings. He's like, one of these people is way too much. You know, and toucher you know when he's <laughs> talking to you he keeps touching you well, i know i i play like that man i skipped that line i learned something from that character from doing that taking him outside how the world reacts to love that and and it was an experiment that i'm like okay and i brought it to different characters people don't have to realize hey you're acting they catch you acting then you're in trouble you have to be able to blend in Sure. I, I did that when it with 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 uh, with Pretty Woman, you know, when I was uh, playing a pimp on Hollywood Boulevard. This was back in the day when there were pimps and prostitutes on Hollywood Boulevard. So I lived in Hollywood. I walked down the street. I befriended a pimp. I hung out with him. I said, hey, man, where'd you get that hat? He had a cool hat. He said Hollywood hat shop down the street. I went down got the same exact hat. He had a dress shirt cut off with the sleeves cut off. 
a tattoo. I, I went to Goodwill, got a dress shirt, cut off the sleeve, put a tattoo. And that's the guy I brought into the room for Gary Marshall. That's the guy that got the part. He was like, I love that. I love. But during that whole time, I was literally hanging out on Hollywood Boulevard, you know, trying to kind of soak in, you know, the character. Exactly. And, and find find the behavior of the character and how he walks and how he talks and how he interacts with, you know, other people. So I, I love that. Hey, let me ask you a question. So if it, it, the business, you know, when you came in 98 to Hollywood, you know, the business has changed a lot since, you know, you came in. You know, we were talking about the VHS tapes, you know, I mean, yeah. now it's all self-tape auditions and stuff like that. How do you feel about all that? I personally love the self-tape auditions. I know a lot of actors going, oh, I like going in the room and all that. I personally, unless I'm going in the room for and and the director's there and all that, and it's going to give me some notes and it's it's going to take time. And I'd rather, I hate waiting in the waiting room with having other people sitting around me and the appointments at two and I get in at three and I have another audition to get to. And that whole thing, I didn't really like it. Yeah. So self-tapes for me was, I started self-taping before the self-tapes became popular. I I realized that, I realized that, you know, my manager would, would I ask, hey, can he self-tape? Uh, yeah, he's not in town. Yeah, sure. And I'm like, they're okay with me self-taping. When it wasn't, not everybody was self-taping. True. And I don't get work off the self-tapes. Yeah. And I'm like, if I'm getting work off the self-tapes, you know, why drive all the way to somewhere yeah. and, you know, I have to deal with whatever is going on that day with the people that I'm dealing with. So for me, it's it's an advantage. I can go as many times as I want to. I'm I'm not a I'm not big on doing a lot of takes and sub tapes. Uh, sometimes you know you find something interesting where you're not you're not sure where you're going with it. Mm-hmm. But I like the fact that you know if I mess up. If I really mess up, I can you know I can do it again. Yeah. I I, I, I like the advantages of. Obviously, the, like everything, there's disadvantages. The casting director's not there to give you a note if you're totally off. And that's, or if you get a callback and you have to do it here like this, and then you're reading off somebody who's a little box stuff, that's, that's a little challenging. But I think you have to, it, it forces you to create the world even more. Mm. I think yeah. to focus on the work and put everything in place. And you, and I think I focus on the advantages. I'm creating the world, and sometimes I'll put stuff off camera for sure. myself to react to. Yeah, I love that. To create the space as much as possible. If this is my office, then you know I can have my mug here. Even though even if I don't show it, I can have my mug here. I can have a pencil. I can have stuff that's meaningful to me. I can like have stuff to react to. Love that. I get to read. In my case, I'm married to an act. My wife, Judy, too, is an excellent actress. So I get to play off somebody who, who's giving me a lot. Uh, so, I, I I mean, that's a long answer to say, yeah, I love the subtapes. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, I you said a lot of great stuff in there, you know, like loading up your fourth wall, you know, putting yourself. You don't want to be the actor in front of the camera auditioning. You want to be the character in the real place, talking to a real person, fighting for a real need, you know. So exactly. it's, you're not acting. It's not it's not me auditioning. You know, I'm just a character talking to a real person, you know, substitute and load it up and personalize it and make it real. Like you said, put stuff that, you know, feeds you emotionally, maybe a, a personal objects or something that's going to give you stuff to play. 
So if you could go back, right, and give the younger you some advice about Hollywood, about life advice, what you've learned, what advice would that be? If I could go back, enjoy the process more, I would say. Enjoy the journey more because um, I think sometimes along the way, it's taken me a long time. And maybe because I've had a little bit of success, I'm able to do that a little more. I was so focused, so, so focused that I missed a lot of life around me because I didn't want to miss an audition. I didn't want to miss if the, that audition came in. And I wasn't auditioning that much. but And maybe that's what it took to, to you know, to, to have a career. But at the same time, I'm like, I think I would have taken in more experiences. But at the same time, done a lot of the same things I did, which I was I was never caught up on the party scene. I saw a lot of people get lost in that. So I would say you did a lot of good things, but at the same time, you're going to be okay as long as you stay on the path. Knowing that you'll be okay as long as you stay on the path, and it's not going to be an easy path. You're going to have ups and downs. Know that. That's what I, I would tell myself. And and focus on on focus on growing and just being better every day. And forget what the know what your goal is, but don't be looking that much at that goal that you're missing all these all these things that are happening to you that I that will get you there. I think that's what I would I would tell myself. That's great you know, advice. To enjoy the, the process, the journey. Yeah. In fact. I wrote back there. You can't see it. it says "have fun." Have fun. Yeah. Have well, that's fun. the key. Well, that's listen. That's the key to longevity in this business because I know a lot of actors. They got a, a shitload of IMDb credits, you know, and like a hundred and fifty, two hundred credits, and and they're not working anymore. And I'm like, you know, I, I'm kind of like, why, why? And they stopped having fun because it became a job and they needed, they, there was a desperation. Like I need this job to get my insurance. I need this job to pay my mortgage. I need this. And they stopped playing. And that's what it is. It's play, man. It's Halloween. It's trick or treat. It's the wardrobe, the costume, the fun. You know, you wrap your towel around your neck and you play Superman, man. That's what it is. Yeah. But it's, you have to stay in play. You got to stay in fun. Because when you're having fun as an actor, making some big choices, whatever, me, casting director, I'm having fun watching you. If you're in your head, you're dead. If you're in desperation, you're, you're, you stay home, you know, because there's a, they could smell that shit a mile away. So it's really staying in fun and play. I mean, that's why they call it players in the theater. You're playing. Yeah. And you are. You are. Some people get caught up at some point, but maybe they always were. That it's so serious to them that they, you almost look like they're in pain in real life. Mm. And maybe they are. That it stops being fun. Like you said, it stops being fun. And then you can't, it'll destroy you inside. So they, they either can't keep doing it or it, start, it starts affecting the work. You see the actors, like, wow, so-and-so is so great. But I don't see him going there. He seems like he's phoning it in. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's, he doesn't want to go there. This person doesn't. And I think it's the bottom line is stop. They forgot that you're playing. You're being a little kid. We're paid to be a little kid. Yeah. And to create, to create, to create, yeah. you know, this world that we're, we're playing this role. Yeah. And we get to, you know, we're, we're, we're very blessed that we get to play. Even if it's in class, that's, that's, 
as valuable as what you're doing. There's no difference. I say, people ask me, oh, what's the difference between this and that or state? I go, there's, there's no difference. Yeah, you, you're maybe the size, the scope of what you're doing, the camera and all that. The steps that you take to get here and the bottom line of playing, having fun, enjoying the moment that you're in. Even if you're, even if you're, you're it's a dark moment for the character. And you're, you're going there. There's an enjoyment. There's enjoyment. Sure. That's why we, that's why people pay a lot of money to see certain actors sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's because you, you feel like, wow, he's, when I went to see Al Pacino, there was always a sense to me. He's having a good time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's having a good time. So sometimes he's having too much of a good time. <laughs> and, and I just was reading an interview that he talks about that. Uh, but I love seeing that. And I think people relate to that. And and, and that could get lost. And it could get lost to me, especially at the beginning, because you, you, you wanted to make it so badly that you forget to, to enjoy the process. Love that. Oscar, I can't thank you enough for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge on, on the podcast. You know, I know I, you're a busy man. I know you got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, you got some projects, right? You got that Star Trek Picard coming out and you got a film Seventh and Union coming out. Seventh and Union, that's coming out as an Amazon original film. That's another example. I just did a film with the producers of, of that film of Seventh and Union. I just did a shot a movie in Mexico. The executive producer, Ruben Islas, of Broken English Productions, just directed his first film. And he offered me one of the leads. And it happened from, that would have been a pain in the ass in Seventh Union. Yeah. I wouldn't have gotten that job. You were a pro. You were a professional and you had a great attitude and they like you and they want to work with you again. You know, going to making a film is like going to war, man. You need somebody in the trenches. You know, that's got your back. It's not going to you know, yeah. be late to set and hold you up and, you know, cost millions. You know, I mean, some of those productions cost there's millions of dollars at stake. Yeah. My principal actor's late. I can't shoot anything, <laughs> you know, so I got to have an actor that I can count on. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So it's, all, it's all about relationships. Gaslit. Uh, my Watergate. Yeah, I saw April the trailer 24th. to that. April twenty fourth. Gaslit yeah. stars, right? And on stars. Yeah. Awesome. Julia, Julia Roberts. Sean Penn. Sean Penn. I love the, the Sean looks great with the the prosthetics and the ball the, yeah, the hair. Unrecognizable. Yeah, he's not. Uh, I can't wait. He was Shay Wiggum. You know Shay? Yeah. Can't wait. It's gonna be awesome. It'll be fun. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Billy. Really appreciate it. Man. It's been a pleasure I, talking to you. I can't wait to see what's next for you. I know there's going to be big things coming. Amen. Thank you. All right, you All right brother. Take care. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. Please rate, review, share this with your friends. Subscribe if you haven't. Please take whatever you get from here, the golden nuggets, and apply them to your career. Go after your dreams with passion. Don't let anybody tell you it can't be done. I believe in you. Follow your dreams. I'll see you in Hollywood.